0: I'm going to read our passage for today. Good news is it's only like two verses, so it's not going to be like 40 some like we just read. Uh, Luke chapter 14, our passage for the morning, this morning is Luke chapter 14, 25 and 26. Now great crowds were traveling with him, that's Jesus, so he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, if you would. Father, we come into your presence this morning to hear your word, our God, to hear you speak to us from the scriptures, God. We pray that as we do so, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, uh, that we might see it, that we might rejoice in it, that we might um, submit to it and make it work, make it... uh, Make it walk and talk in our lives today and this coming week, Lord. Pray you change us uh, as, we, as we hear, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning, we are wrapping up uh, this series that we've been in, which is uh, t- we've titled Exalted, where we've just been basically looking at uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to follow Christ uh, uh, in our lives? And what we have seen is that there are conditions— to being a follower of Jesus right and conditions are just requirements for something to happen and uh, I'll give you an example Uh, my girls they have a a pet sitting business which they uh, they watch other people's uh, pets and stuff in our neighborhood so but their conditions uh, for if you wanted to hire them and and one of the big conditions is they want your money yeah they are gonna get your money okay because it's a business and they're learning how to uh, be a good steward of, the, of their money and stuff like that. Um, so Jesus here is speaking to the crowds, and he, and he is saying, listen, hey, if you want to follow me, this is what it is. This is these are the requirements uh, for being a disciple. And he lays out the conditions, and we just read it. And, and what it was is, is is to hate your family. You've got to hate your family if you want to you follow Jesus. That's what he said. I didn't say it. He said it. That's shocking, isn't it? And it would have been shocking in Jesus' day too, and what Jesus says ought to disturb us. Hating your family, it almost doesn't seem right, does it? Hate your family, it doesn't seem right. What do you think most people think about when they think about Jesus? When I talk to people or when I hear people, what I hear is that Jesus is about love. But what we see Jesus here saying is that you gotta hate. You have to hate in order to uh, follow him. What Jesus is saying here is the way to love is actually to hate. Hating in, G- in Jesus' time in the early, uh, um, in, the, in the ancient Near East, the first century, hating was an expression for loving something less. Uh, loving something less, loving other people less. It's, uh, it, Jesus is using hyperbole here. Hyperbole is a, is, a, is a form of a figure of speech, which is an exaggeration meant to get a point across. So Jesus is exaggerating hate in order to get uh, his point across. And we do that today, too. We say things like, man, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Right? Now, when someone says that, you don't literally think they're going to go out and, you know, eat a horse. You know, they just mean they're, they're really hungry. Jesus is not saying that we have, should have hatred towards anyone because that would contradict all kinds of things that Jesus says. Like, honor your father and mother, love your enemies, love even your enemies. One of the most basic rules for biblical interpretation or making sense out of the Bible um, is something uh, called scripture interpret scripture, or the rule of faith is what people theologians call it. It's called the rule of faith. So if you've got a scripture that's difficult to understand, you need to bring in more clear scripture to help you understand what that uh, text actually means. Here's what Jesus is saying, allegiance to him must be at the top of your priority list if you want to follow him. Allegiance to Jesus has got to be number one. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, here's what that means. There's always someone more important to your, in your life than everyone else, and that's Jesus. Jesus is saying if you're going to follow him and be his disciple, then the love that you have for Jesus in comparison to to the love that you have for everyone else is going to look like hatred. It's going to feel like hatred. Love for Jesus can feel like hatred towards other people. And uh, that's why we have to know this little phrase right here. we got to know this little phrase, and here it is. Facts over feelings. Facts over feelings. And that's what we're just going we are going to sit down on this today. This could really change the fabric of the universe if we get this down. Facts over feelings. Verse 14, I mean, verse uh, 26 of chapter 14. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let's break this down again. Hate here means love less than other people, including your own family. Right? Jesus does not want you to go out and to pick a fight with your family. He doesn't want you to be the biggest jerk in your family. To walk into your family gathering and say, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus now. He tells me I need to hate you guys, so let me see how I can get underneath your skin. To be uh, the most (laughs) um, disrespectful person in your family, it's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about loyalty to him above all others, allegiance to him. I've been at a, a couple of events recently where I've had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I realized I have not said the Pledge of Allegiance for like some decades. I have not been uh, in any environment where, I, where, you know, I had to. But it, the words really struck me. They're serious words. Pledge allegiance to the Re- United States, to the Republic for which the flag stands. Right? It is serious words. You're pledging allegiance to the, your loyalty to the country. As Christians, we pledge allegiance to Jesus above everyone else. That is the condition for being a disciple of Jesus. But when we pledge allegiance to Jesus, it can feel like hatred from the perspective of other people. Because it's like, oh, what are you saying? Like, it's not just me here, there's someone above me? Yeah, we're saying there's someone above you. Someone above everybody. Even our own family, there's someone above it uh, all. And it's it's Jesus. Now, I want you guys to focus here for a second. Pledging allegiance to Jesus, which can feel like hatred from the perspective of other people, presents Christians with a serious challenge because people in our world today, our culture today, our community today, feel free to determine what is true for themselves, which includes whether they feel loved or hated. So people in our world today, they determine uh, whether, uh, whether you're loving them or not. Uh, based on, on, on their own interpretation of, of truth. Um, a friend of mine, a pastor and professor, a guy named Doug Ponder, he recently wrote an article which, you know, a lot of people were sharing on social media. Here was the title. We're commanded to love our neighbors, not make them feel loved. That's what Jesus commands us to do. Jesus commands you to actually love your neighbor, not necessarily make them feel loved. So he, he talks about in, in an article how people talk about it's my truth, your truth. Hey, that's cool, man. If that's your truth, you rock that. It doesn't matter necessarily if it's true or not, whether it corresponds to reality or not. Um, for instance, he gives an example. Two plus two equals four is true for most people, right? Two plus two equals four. But a Harvard professor recently said, that two plus two equals five for other people. This is the world that we live in. We have to, we have to know this. It turns out Harvard professors are outsmarted by kindergartners these days. We say things like love is love, right? Which, let me just be honest, that's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. It, it makes, it, it, mean, it doesn't mean anything, right? Saying things like, uh, like what I'm saying right now hurts people's feelings. People get their feelings hurt In our world today, but hurt feelings aren't proof that you're unloving. Hurt feelings are not proof that you're, it may be proof that you actually love Jesus above everything else and everyone else. You know, Jesus was not a sinner, He loved everybody perfectly, fully, completely, but Jesus hurt a lot of people's feelings. He hurt a lot of people's feelings. Listen, he wouldn't have got murdered if that wasn't the case. He was not walking around with white gloves, you know, with everyone's feelings, you know, trying to make sure that he didn't offend everybody. This is what my buddy uh, Doug Ponder said in that article. If feelings are the standard, there is no standard. You feel what he's saying? There also are no constraining limits. For if making someone feel loved is the requirement for feeling loved, there is no end to what darkened hearts may demand in order to feel sufficiently loved. Man, that is so, that is so true. And look what he says. This is, of course, precisely what is happening everywhere, even in our community. People demand that you love them according to their definition. If you don't, then you're a hater. I mentioned last week my, my neighbor is a, he's building a deck at his house, and he was out there trying to square up the posts and everything. So, I'm not a carpenter, so I looked up. What is square? Square means that the corners are 90 degrees. That's what it means. So, swearing allegiance to Jesus means Jesus determines what is square in the world. What is square uh, in our community, in our culture? Swearing allegiance to Jesus means that Jesus determines what's right, wrong, true, good, beautiful in regards to it all. That's what it means. Right? So, Simply pledging your allegiance to Jesus' basic view of gender and sexuality is going to get you labeled as a hater in our culture. and just is. All right? Well, what did Jesus say about those things? Did he have anything to say about gender and sexuality and our bodies? He said all kinds of stuff about it. Well, let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. Is your allegiance to Jesus or what everyone else says? Haven't you read? And Jesus goes on to quote the Bible. The first book of the Bible, Genesis. That's what the, the, the bold is, right? He's say, Jesus is saying, I get down with Genesis. Matter of fact, it was through my spirit that Moses wrote the book down. Look what he says. Haven't you read? That he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And according to Jesus, there are only two genders. There are only two sexualities, and it is our sin, Our hearts that pervert that and want to go astray from that. I understand that people can feel all kinds of type of ways. I feel like all kinds of type of ways all the time. I feel like doing some things I shouldn't do a lot of times, but I got to check that. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and two will become one flesh. So Jesus said, listen, there's only two genders, only two, Sexes, they are biologically determined It's a gift given to us by God, and there's only one definition of marriage, the definition that most people have held in most cultures throughout all of history. That is, biological male-female joined together as one flesh. It's a beautiful gift from God. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God's joined together, let no one separate But if you follow Jesus on this, if you say, yes, Jesus, my loyalty is you, I pledge allegiance to you, Jesus, you're gonna be seen as unloving. But here's the deal, that's real love. If you you hold to what Jesus teaches about gender and sexuality and love and marriage, his definition, that's actually love, but it's gonna feel like hatred from the perspective of other people. Real love is not lying to people about these things, saying it's cool. It's okay getting down with it. No, love is not love, according to Jesus. Jesus has a very specific definition of humanity and anthropology and our bodies and our sexuality and what love actually is. It is not, real love is not breaking God's commands, swearing falsely and lying to people. If your allegiance to Jesus above everything else, even what our world says, you're going to hurt people's feelings on this one, right? And it doesn't matter how loving you are. It doesn't matter how humble you are. It doesn't matter how rational you are. You break it down and everything. You talk about the science and everything. You're going to be considered unloving. And people are going to, you know, not want to be your friend, you know, or whatever. That's why facts over feelings is so important. Facts have to be more important than our feelings. They do. Right? Facts about Jesus. That's what the whole book of Luke is about, by the way. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. He was an academic person. And he came to be a follower of Jesus during Paul's missionary journey. So he went back, and he interviewed all the eyewitnesses. Right? And he put it all together for you. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1-4. through 4. Look what he says. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative, that is, a book, a story, about the events that have been fulfilled among them, about the facts, the events. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us. I talked to the eyewitness. So it seemed good uh, also to me, since I've carefully investigated everything, CSI, from the very beginning, from the first, to write to you in orderly sequence, most honorable So He was writing this to his friend. To bless him, so that you may know the certainty, the truthfulness of the facts, of the things about which you have been instructed. So Luke is a historical account of the facts, the things that God did in and through his his son, Lord Jesus, the facts about Jesus. I uh, had an issue with the axle on my vehicle recently, so I took it to the mechanic. And then when you take your vehicle to the mechanic, listen, you don't want, you don't give a rip about their feelings. You don't want a mechanic, you take it in and says, well, listen, I know you got that liquid that's, that's all around your, 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 uh, your wheel and everything, all around your rim, and I know you think there's something going on with your axle, but I really feel like it's the radiator. No one does that, you don't care what they feel. You wanna know the facts. It's the axle, right? Something's going on with that. What are the facts that Luke gives to us about Jesus? Well, he interviewed all the eyewitnesses, and he wrote down this story about how Jesus was with his disciples, and they were out on the Sea of Galilee. And in that particular region of the land of Israel, there's a big mountain there. And the water, the air will come down off of that mountain. Oh, similar things happen here. The the air comes down, mixes with the air of the Sea of Galilee, boom, you got a big storm on your hands. And these huge storms will break out uh on the Sea of Galilee. And that's what happened to the disciples. Jesus was up in the boat with them out on the Sea of Galilee. This storm starts breaking out. And I'm talking, you going up the wave, you're going down the wave, and then you know they didn't have these big, huge boats. And they were sinking. And Jesus was asleep. Who does that? Who do, who, do you know of anyone, if the boat was going up one side and down the other, and it was sinking and everyone on the boat is sinking, we're going to die, right? The man is asleep. What does that tell you about that man? So this is what happens in Luke 8, 24 and 25. Then Jesus got up, and said, "Okay, I got this, guys." He rebuked the wind and the waves. All right, you two, wind, waves, knock it off. And he said to them, uh, and they, so they ceased, and there was a calm." And he said to them, "Where is your faith?" The disciples, they were fearful and amazed, and they asking one another this question, "Who then is this? Who is this man?" that he commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey. Listen, here's the point. That's the fact. This is the story. This is what happened. No one ever did. Who does this? You know? And do you have any friends that can speak to the wind and the wave and make them do something? No one ever did this. That's the whole point, right? No one ever spoke like Jesus. No one ever did what he did. And Luke, the reason he writes this story is to put that question to you. Who do you think he is? Who then is this? I will tell you who he is. He is the Lord. He is the creator God. He's the God who made the wind. And noise. That's why he was able to go to sleep, because he's a sovereign God in control of everything, who made the wind. He was not worried about the wind. He wasn't worried about the waves. Well, that's nothing. Jesus gets something. What are y'all talking about? Boom, boom, boom. Sit down, shut up. That's enough. Tired of it. Knock it off. And uh, this story is actually referring to the psalm that we read, Psalm 107. It's so beautiful, right? Verses uh, 28 and 30. We'll read it again if you didn't get enough of it. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed, and they rejoiced when they, were, when they grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor that they longed for. See, Jesus is Lord. Facts over feelings. And the fact that he is God, he is the creator God, demands your allegiance. This is why it doesn't matter what everyone else says about anything. It's Jesus is Lord over everything. He's the creator of all, all things. Luke gives us the facts about the good news about what Jesus has done for us, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the Bible are what's called gospel. They are the gospels. That's how the, 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 the second part of the Bible starts out. They are the historical accounts of who Jesus is, and they're a particular genre of literature called gospel. And that word gospel means good news. So Jesus is not only Lord, he is the good Lord who came down in flesh and blood and died on the cross for our sins, put him in a tomb, walked out the grave three days later. He's risen. He's Lord over over everything for our salvation. And, you know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he was alive for a month, walking around, flesh and blood, eating, drinking, hanging out with people, teaching the Bible, talking about the kingdom of God. And Luke records that. Luke 24, verse 45-48. This is talking about Jesus. Luke 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Bible. Jesus had a Bible study with his disciples after he rose. He also said to them, this is what is written. That's what's in the book. The Messiah, that's me, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Then, repentance and for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, these are the facts. This is what Jesus did. These are the historical eyewitness facts. So because Jesus is the good Lord who died on the cross in our place for our sins and is risen from the dead, the proper response to that is repentance. You see that? After this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So that's what I'm doing right now. I am proclaiming the repentance of, uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and you are all nations. Like the gospel started in the Middle East, spread all the way over here to eastern panhandle West Virginia, and you're hearing it right now. God's fulfilling his promises right now. So... Because Jesus is the good Lord who died for us, and this demands our total allegiance. So what we want to do is turn away from all forms of pride and arrogance and thinking that we're above him. No. And that we call the shots in our life. Listen, all forms of immorality come from pride. All forms of sexual immorality come ultimately from pride. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 clearly lays out. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So God says, hey, you, you think you're, you know more than Jesus? You know more than me? Have at it. So God gave them over to um, defile their bodies in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of sexual immorality. It ultimately comes from us thinking we're God. So we turn away from that, and we turn away from all forms of, um, of sin and immorality and un- ungodliness and unholiness, and we turn to Christ and we look to him. We don't turn from our sin. We don't repent so that we will be forgiven. That's not what that means. Uh, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We repent because we have been forgiven. That's why we turn away from sin. Listen, I turn away from sin because I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do the things that God had to bleed and die for. Why would I do that? Why would I drag uh, my Lord and Savior through the mud? I want to get rid of it out of my life because I love him because he died for me and bled for me for his great love he loved us so much he came from heaven to earth and he took my trash and my filth onto himself at the cross so out of a heart of gratitude turn away from those things facts over feelings uh, I don't know about you, but I was a big fan of The Rock back in the day. The Wrestler, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, that was my dude, right? It's, the Rock. He would interview people. He would have the microphone. He would say, you know, how are you feeling about the match tonight? And they would say, well, I feel it. It doesn't matter how you feel. That's what he would say. It doesn't matter how you feel, right? I think someone needs to, like, develop an app. You know, you get the app. Sorry, this is my little receiver here, but this is a cell phone. Pretend. All right? You download the app. Maybe it's called, the app is called Facts Over Feelings. You download it. It goes into your phone. You have it open uh, at all times. You know, and then when you go to say something like, well, I feel, all of a sudden the rock's voice comes out of your pocket. And he says, it doesn't matter how you feel because facts over feelings. Right? Someone needs to develop that app, Right? And, you know, you have it on your phone, and it helps you to remember this, this, um, this statement, facts over feelings, which will change uh, reality. It will change uh, the world. Go back to the beginning for a second. Jesus was speaking to the crowds. I read this morning in um, Matthew chapter 4, great crowds followed Jesus from all over, all the regions uh, surrounding um, uh, Israel. What would Jesus say to the crowds today? What would he say to the community? I think he would say what he said to these crowds. He would say, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your family. You need to, you need to hate everything above me. That is, mean, your total allegiance needs to be to me and not to everyone else. Put me at the top of your priority list in your every day. Listen. We need to remember that the folks, the crowds that were following Jesus, they were interested in everything else changing but them. They, wanted, they, they, they were upset with the political climate of the day, and they were hoping that Jesus was going to get in there and just clean house. right? Rome was occupying Israel at the time, and they thought the Messiah was going to come, and he was just going to change, give them their political hopes and dreams. Listen, I meet so many people all the time everything out of their mouth is what's wrong with the world all about politics and this and that listen that's fine and dandy do you but do you want to change because Jesus said listen if I look around at everyone else and I see that every all I see uh everyone else what they got going on in their life but I got this big honking log coming out of my eye and I want to get the speck out of everyone else's eye and I don't want to change is that you See, the reason Jesus' challenge had to be so sharp and still is today is we naturally want everyone and everyone else to change, but not us. Right? We don't want to be disturbed. See, Jesus came to disturb us. Not to say, hey, rubber stamp on everything you got going on, keep doing that. I know I died on the cross, but that don't really mean anything for your life. Right? We we don't want to change and do things differently. Change our minds, our beliefs, our attitudes, our feelings, and our behaviors. But Jesus came to do that. He came to change everything. Matter of fact, the change Jesus came to bring in our life, he said, is described as being born again. Like you're a whole new person and stuff. And here's why he came to do that. Because he loves you. He loves you. And cares about you too much to be worried if he hurts your feelings. Because he loves you. He, 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 Jesus actually loves you. You see, what Jesus says here ought to disturb us because we are a community that, that cherishes family values. I literally saw someone post this on social media uh, uh, last week. Family is everything. Not according to Jesus is not. Jesus is everything, and when we make him everything in our life, then we're properly able to know how to love our families. What would it look like for you to pledge allegiance to Jesus, your loyalty to him in your family? Uh, I was listening to a sermon of a close friend recently, and he mentioned an interview uh, of a um, well-known Bible scholar, theologian guy named Wayne Grudem. And Grudem said uh, in that interview that there's always two simple signs of those who have genuine faith and aren't immature in their faith. You guys want to know what they are? All right, number one. First is regular attendance when the church gathers. First sign. Regular attendance when the church gathers. So for us, that is Wednesday night, community group, we gather together, right? And then Sunday morning, which is Lord's Day, the church has been gathering together. Day one, since Jesus rose, that's number one, is being present. Number two is they are constantly in God's Word daily. And Grudem said, these are bare minimums. This is like, this is the bare minimum. It's just showing up every time the church shows up Wednesday night. That's for us, it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, right? These are bare minimums. So are you doing those things, right? Therefore, you're good, by the way. Jesus doesn't tell us to do these things to make us miserable, but they're for our good. Or are there other priorities at the top of your list that keep you from doing these things? What would have to change for you to follow Jesus like this? Maybe it would cause a fight in your marriage. Right? If something else is, is, is keeping you from doing what Jesus says you ought to do, and it's up there, and you've got to have a conversation about that thing, well, maybe it'll cause a fight. Maybe it needs to. How about that? Maybe there needs to be a fight, a discussion about um, what, you need to, what you ought to do, what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ uh, together. Jesus at the top means your main priority is telling everyone in your family about Jesus. Yes, tell them. What? Tell them all. Right? Tell them all because you love Jesus. You want them to know they're the closest people. They're, they're the, uh, the captive audience for you. And you don't do it as a jerk. You, don't, you just tell them you, you pray and you wait for the right opportunity, you know, and you just tell them, I love you, man. I want you to know my Lord and my Savior and how he loves you, you know. And you don't just do it one time, I did it, Lord. No, you, you walk with them throughout your whole life, right? And you know what? Feelings could get hurt when you do that. Your feelings might get hurt. They might tell you you're crazy. So What? So what? You are crazy. It's great. Tell them. Having allegiance to Jesus in your family means leading everyone in your family to follow Jesus. That's the priority. That means reading the Bible together as a family. Praying together uh, with your kids on a regular basis. So, um, especially for the dads in the room. This is for the dads in the room reading the Bible with your kids, praying with them, that means when the church is gathered together, you need to lead your kids to be here, All right? Because if not, you're leading them to, to think that it's okay to miss church. It's not okay. Um, a, a couple of uh, years ago, I was with some pastors here in West Virginia, and uh, another pastor friend of ours was there, and he was teaching on prayer. And uh, uh, he, he challenged us and encouraged us, hey, pray with your wife every night before you go to bed. And listen, I was not doing that. And uh, I was convicted by that. And I said, well, I need to start doing that. And I started doing it, right? I don't do it every, time, every night because I get tired. Sometimes I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. But you know what? It doesn't matter how I feel. I need to do it. I need to pray with my wife. You know what? When you go to bed and you pray together and you go to bed, that's a little bit better than going to bed together anxious or worried or fearful or talking about some bad news or in a fight. Um, you know what? I encourage that. I, I recommend that to you guys. I recommend that to everybody in the room uh, to to pray together before you go to bed. And listen, maybe you're here and you're saying, well, you know, I don't have a wife or a kids or a family. Look around. This is your family. Find a way to encourage these folks in this room. This is a room of moms, dads, brothers, sisters, Family in Christ, this is your family. These are your brothers and sisters, your moms, dads, uncles, cousins, grandmas. Find a way to get into scriptures together and pray together and love one another, encourage one another. This passage talks about sons, daughters, fathers, mothers that we looked at. This passage is actually a reference to one of the prophets in the Old Testament in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7. Let's look at it real quick. Micah chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter oppresses her mother. And a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But I, look at this, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Yes, I will. My God will hear me. All right, so Micah looks out into the future, he sees this vision of the coming day when Jesus would come. And he sees all these divisions that are caused by Jesus. Because he is Lord, he is, he is our authority. And see, these divisions come because people have other allegiances, other lordies, other loyalties and other priorities. See, But we want to do what Micah says right here, we want to do that. We want to look to Jesus. We want to look to the Lord. Put our faith, our trust, our hope, and our obedience to him, and we want to rest in his salvation because guess what? It already came. Micah was looking forward to it. We are looking back to it, resting in it, resting in the fact that he already accomplished it, right? And we want to talk to him, know that he hears our prayers, he hears our concerns when people perceive us as hateful, when we're really just trying to love Him like Jesus does. See, these are the facts. These are the good news facts that we want to respond to now.